And I have the awesome opportunity to introduce you to Warren Wilkowitz. He's been here at our church. Um, he's a member at our, or he's um, he's been at our church for quite a while. I don't know how how many years, five years, yeah. And so um, uh, he's been out in the uh, congregation listening to the sermons, and now he gets to preach a sermon for us this morning. Um, a few things about Warren. Uh, he's been a pastor in three different states. Uh, he's been a pastor for over 50 years, over 50 years, yeah-ish, <laughs> something like that. Um, and uh, he's been a pastor in um, in Boulder as well. And he also was actually the chaplain of the state senates in Illinois and Arkansas. He had a radio ministry for over 21 years in Illinois and throughout Illinois and throughout Indiana. Um, and a fun fact about that, he's one of one of the first to live stream his sermons on the internet. Isn't that crazy? Um, he uh, also had uh, preaching missions. He's done preaching missions through Africa and in India. And um, he's also uh, he's he's also has preached widely up until about um, five years ago when he was in an automobile accident. Um, and so uh, after that, uh, he ended up losing his leg, and and he has been in retirement ever since in Estes Park. And so him and Carol, his wife Carol, uh, come here to church, and we are so blessed to have them a part of our church family, and we're so blessed to hear from him this morning. So I'll give it to you, Warren. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's indeed a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I want to go back to last Sunday. I, I, I'm still impressed with the uh, with the church picnic last Sunday. Any, how many? How many were? Is anybody there? Uh, I got to tell you, if you weren't there, you missed it because we had a monsoon, <laughs> and uh, and it was incredible because water came over the hill and down the hill, and pretty soon our congregation a full pavilion were in three inches of water and uh and there was lightning around and the sign outside the pavilion said this pavilion is not protected from lightning (laughs) and so i'm telling you god preserved us because half of this congregation could be in heaven today with one lightning strike, with everybody standing in three inches of water. So I'm thankful. Sometimes we forget to thank God for His mercy. I think He needed some of us to go on and, and minister for Him. So, uh, But it, it's, a, it's a picnic. I've, I've been to a lot of church picnics in my day. But I've never seen a hot dog come floating by. <laughs> never. Stick of celery, sprig of broccoli came floating by. I want to tell you, it was, a, it was an experience, and uh, God protected us. I hope you'll pray for Aaron on his sabbatical. I want to tell you something that kind of thrilled me. Uh, I started the ministry about uh, 42 years, 43 years I shared with my best friend in ministry. We started at the same time. We kind of uh, talked back and forth. He was a great, great pastor and still is. 
but would you know that he has a house in Hawaii four miles from where Aaron is? And they're going to get together and, uh, and they're going to celebrate the ministry. So uh, I'm really excited about that. I hope that happens. But uh, my mind goes to Aaron and how wonderful it is to uh, have this respite and to come back uh, fired up for God. Let's uh, turn to our scripture for today, and uh, we're from Matthew 13, the verses numbered 44 through 46, and it's the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. And scholars are telling us that the hidden treasure is something that was just found by accident, stumbled onto it. While the pearl of great price was something that uh, was sought after greatly. And we're going to focus on the pearl of great price today. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to be with us. Amen. Pearls in the time of Jesus were viewed very much like diamonds are today. History tells us that in the first century... They were the most valuable gems in the world. If you owned a fine pearl, you possessed immense value. Exceptional pearls so difficult to find came from the pearl oyster, which thrives at an average depth of 40 feet. Picture this, the first century pearl diver would go out in a small boat, tie a large rock to his body and lower himself into the water, allowing the weight of the rock to carry him down 40 feet to the oyster bed. There he would shed the rock and uh, in danger of predators like sharks and fierce moray eels. While he was down there just for a few seconds, holding his breath to search and scour the mud bottom, for oysters. On average, the oyster uh, had a good pearl about one in a thousand. They occur randomly in nature and are very rare. Many divers died seeking the elusive pearls. Pearls were precious, and the often quoted Jewish Talmud said, Pearls are beyond price. In the closing verses in the New Testament, we read about the New Jerusalem and the 12 gates of the city were 12 pearls. And we refer to them as the pearly gates. Now look at the oyster. To understand how a pearl is created, a pearl is formed from tiny pieces of waste. The oyster takes in from the water, from the seafloor, tiny grains of sand, sometimes pieces of seashell, and other times bone fragments become lodged in the oyster. And to protect itself from this irritant, the oyster will quickly begin covering the foreign entrant with layers and layers of a calcium and protein mixture called mother of pearl. This continues for years until the iridescent pearl is formed. These oysters live from 6 to 20 years. 
and a medium-sized pearl takes over three years to form. A large pearl, like the pearl of great price that Jesus described, takes several more years. Now let's meet the pearl merchant who is central to the parable. He was a businessman who searched the markets and the back streets and villages looking to purchase pearls. He didn't die for pearls, but bought and sold pearls in the aftermarket. The pearl merchant knew pearls well and was skilled in appraising their value. All his energies were directed to locating pearls. He knew quality by the shape and size, the soft radiance, the bright colors, and the rich appearance. Everything about the pearl merchant cried out, I'm looking for pearls. For him it was pearls in the morning, pearls at noontime, pearls at night. One lucky day, the merchant was showed a pearl that blew him away. His whole being screamed, Eureka! I have found it! An exclamation of triumph at discovery. The merchant was amazed, astonished, shocked at the unforeseen, the unexpected wonderment. A lightning bolt of rare discovery. He purposefully found the pearl that he'd been seeking and he was rewarded. He found the ultimate pearl of great price and arranged to use all his wealth to purchase it. Please, church, see what Jesus is doing here. Through this parable, Jesus utilizes the people's cultural understanding of the merchant and the pearl to make a statement about the value of the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is of ultimate worth. Jesus is saying, diligently seek my kingdom, and when you find it, you will possess the Spirit of God who will accomplish His redeeming purpose in your life. Upon finding Christ's kingdom, you will sense at the deepest level, I have found it. You will be amazed, astonished, shocked at the unforeseen and the wonderment, a lightning bolt of discovery. Every cell and fiber in your body will want to possess the kingdom once you've seen it. A German biblical scholar, last name Jeremiah writes about finding the kingdom and the great pearl of price. And I quote, When that great joy, surpassing all measure, seizes you, it carries you away and penetrates your inmost being with the surpassing worth. The effect of the joyful news is overpowering and your heart is filled with gladness. You now possess the greatest possession of life. Gifts from the kingdom of God start to flow. Here's the first gift of your life which comes with finding Christ and His kingdom. Number one, in the kingdom of God, you have a new identity. Good news, you're a child of the kingdom. You're adopted into God's family 
And now God has declared you as his daughter or son. You have a new identity. God has written your name in the book of life. You can say, I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. What do you now see? You see the pearl of great price, a vision of the matchless kingdom of God that embraces you as a child of the king and you belong as never before. Robert E. Cranston, a Filipino medical doctor practicing in the United States who appears to be successful, shares this search to find who he really is. His search ends when he discovers his identity as a child of God. I can identify with his search. See if you can relate. He writes, I am too American for my Filipino friends, but too Filipino for my American friends. I am too rich for my poor friends, and I'm too poor for my rich friends. I'm too fat for my lean, muscular friends, but too much an athlete for my couch potato friends. I'm too smart for my dumb friends, and I'm too dumb for my smart friends. When I lived in the rural South, I was a Yankee. And while living in Chicago, I was called a Southerner. I am not worldly enough for my pagan friends, and I'm too worldly for my conservative Christian friends. The doctor asks, Who am I? Many in our culture and many of us are asking, Who am I anyway? A good question. In a far-off city as a pastor, I had three separate appointments in one week with men searching to understand their own identity. The first was an attorney who complained that lawyers have a bad image and he felt he was being put down because of his profession and their reputation. The second was a podiatrist, a foot doctor who was feeling inferior because he was confined to treating persons only below the ankle. The third was a psychiatrist who poured out his heart to me about a self-image problem. He was being teased mercilessly by his friends who were telling him he was a bit off because he worked with very troubled people and his friends told him, you got to be one to know one. It takes one to know one. He was feeling terrible. These professionals were having trouble defining who they were. They were each in their own way lost and needed the pearl of great price. God's spirit to give them a new solid identity as God's child. Picture Jesus saying to you today and every day, you are my sister and brother. You are a child of mine. You're part of God's family Your identity as God's children and child depends forever and is there to define you from this day on. You're accepted in love. You stand with Jesus to inherit the immeasurable wealth 
of God's kingdom. A person who has been spiritually made new through union with Christ. A child of God placed in God's care and is secure on the solid foundation of Jesus that will never change. The question, who am I? The personal identity question is forever answered. You are God's precious child. Here's the second gift to your life when finding Christ in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, you are made a new person by His grace and love. Dear friends, we live in a fallen, soiled world and we are all fallen and soiled with original sin. I remember as a young man visiting with a mature Christian gentleman at his home office. He asked me if I thought the walls of his office were white. I said, yes, they are. He reached in his desk and held up a white sheet of stationery and holding against the wall revealed to me that the walls were not white. In comparison, when the purity of my life is compared to the life of Jesus. I am ashamed and I fall seriously short of His personal holiness. If I had my life to live over again, I would correct some of the boneheaded mistakes and missteps I made and must now own. The old saying is true. Too soon old and too late smart. Unfortunately, embedded in the history of our lives, we find decisions, behavior, and stains that we can't undo. But Jesus, with his forgiving grace, has a solution. There's a story about a man who spilled a pot of black tea against a wall and left a terrible stain on the plaster. Everyone thought the wall was ruined and ugly. A gifted artist came and drew around the lines of the stain and made a beautiful pen and ink drawing. I told that story in a sermon, and let me read a happy paragraph from a litter that I received from a young lady. I quote, I've been blessed through your preaching. One in particular comes to mind. You were preaching about grace. You told the story of a man who spilled some tea on a white wall and left a terrible stain and an artist came and drew around the lines and made something beautiful from it. I needed that analogy that very day. And to be honest, I left church in tears that Sunday. I hope we can all put that analogy in place and believe for the future that God can make our lives into something God can use. End of her paragraph. Jesus, the divine artist, with his grace, can draw around the stains we have Build across our lives and create something beautiful and useful. 
When you possess Christ, you have His grace and love, His forgiveness, and you're made new, washed clean. And the stains of failure and sin are made as white as snow. The greatest discovery of life in is finding the amazing grace that makes us new by the gift of His mercy and love. Now third, the third gift that comes to your life when you find Christ and His kingdom is the kingdom of God. In it, your greatest enemy, death, is defeated and your future is secure. I want to share with you two personal stories that changed the course of my spiritual life and strengthened the incredible joy and luxury of finding the pearl of great price that represents knowing Jesus who brings to us the riches of his kingdom. I was given the opportunity of a lifetime to go on a magnificent fishing trip. A group of five wealthy businessmen in my community made reservations to go on a big game fishing trip that had been featured the previous month in the issue of National Geographic magazine. This was a big deal trip. The trip was booked out of Key West, Florida on a 42-foot cabin cruiser whose captain was Ganey Maxwell, the former captain of President Dwight Eisenhower's yacht. At the last minute, an attorney who had organized the trip became ill and had to cancel, and no refund was possible. The group invited this young pastor to fill the vacancy at no cost. And it's good, because I never dimed him a name. And I was thrilled. What a blessing. Arriving in Key West, we took a small plane a hundred miles northwest into the Gulf of Mexico, and we boarded Captain Maxwell's luxurious cabin cruiser, a powerful uh, pleasure boat with fight chairs for big game fishing, a cabin equipped for sleeping, cooking, and dining. After a week of very successful trophy fishing, we headed the boat back toward Key West. The captain put the boat on automatic pilot and went below the deck to switch to a reserve fuel tank. I was taking pictures of the other men who were in fight chairs catching kingfish. I turned my camera in the general direction of Key West and a huge ship filled my viewfinder. Wow! It was a large shrimp vessel, and it was headed straight for us. I called the captain, and he came up from below to steer the boat, but it was too late to avoid a collision. The large bow of the two-story high ship, made of steel, cut our cabin cruiser in half. It came through us like butter. The impact was so strong, our fishermen, our equipment, 
our belongings spread across the gulf. Captain Maxwell shouted, Prepare to abandon ship! I thought I'd never hear those words except in a movie. Immediately, both halves of the boat began to sink. No time to find life jackets. We instinctively gathered the six of us together, counted heads and treaded water, just drifting. And we were several, several miles from shore. In shark-infested, let me repeat, shark-infested waters of the Gulf of Mexico. One of the guys, Vernon, had poor eyesight and had lost his thick-lensed glasses in the collision, and he couldn't swim. Nearly blind, he was in a state of panic. I held him by the collar of his shirt, and he begged me to let him loose and let him die. We got him settled down and kept him in tow. There we were, floating together, very afraid. Two of these men owned large construction companies. Another was the lead foreman in the larger company. Another was an owner of McDonald's restaurants. There was the former presidential yacht captain and me, a young preacher, not long out of divinity school. None of that stuff seemed to matter now. Everything of earthly value faded. And the question of surviving, of keeping a grasp on life, thoughts of family and God became crystal clear. For perhaps the first time in the trip, they all looked at me. One man said, We're in a big mess, Pastor. If you and God can get us out of this trouble, I'll be in the front row Sunday when you preach. One by one, they all agreed. If we can live, we will be in the front row at the worship service to thank God on Sunday. I loved evangelism, but this wasn't quite what I had in mind. I want to be brutally frank. During the entire week's fishing trip, The kingdom of God was the farthest thing from all their minds. No one was honoring God. I felt out of place because I was not accustomed to the extreme locker room vulgarity. But I observed that the focus of their thinking was beginning to change. Floating in the gulf brought the ultimate life and death issues into focus for each of us. For some folk, it takes a lifetime to sort out the ultimate concerns that life's journey leads us to at the end of life. But for these men, it took about an hour as we force, as we face the possible watery grave. The shrimp vessel was registered under the name Triton, and it was undamaged. Like us, they had been on automatic pilot. We later learned the crew watched us through field glasses from a great distance as they pondered a difficult decision to either let us perish 
and deny any involvement with the accident or to face by coming back for us a complicated and expensive Coast Guard investigation and adverse publicity. They wanted to avoid all that. So they had to make a decision. And their decision was to rescue us. God moved us from death to life. They brought the large ship toward us and the rescue process was difficult and dangerous but successful. They were more experienced of getting shrimp out of the Gulf of Mexico than a bunch of water-soaked fishermen. They practiced on me and they accidentally dropped me two stories down into the turbine-driven propellers. And I had to swim for my life. And we barely survived. But thank God we survived. When I stood up to preach of God's saving grace the next Sunday, there were fishermen in the front row of the church. A rather strange sight because there was no one in the next seven or eight pews until the congregation started. They really looked strange right there in the front row. Two of them admitted they had not been in God's house in several decades. We were alive. They gave genuine thanks to God. And the kingdom of Christ emerged from that brush with death as more valuable than any other possession. Truly Christ is what really counts. Now church, take a deep breath. Shake off the salt water. Dry off with a big old imaginary beach towel. And allow me to transition and share a second life-changing experience. One of the most difficult challenges of my life as an only child was managing my mother's terminal illness from Colorado. During a very busy week of ministry, I received an urgent phone call from Pennsylvania. Fearing it involved my mother's failing health, I was shocked to learn my father was in a different hospital in serious condition. A Saturday request was for me to return to Pittsburgh as soon as possible. I was scheduled to preach at three morning services in Boulder the next day. The flight to Pennsylvania was scheduled for Sunday afternoon. The sermon that Sunday morning was on the raising of Lazarus. As you know, a powerful scriptural account of Jesus' ministry of comfort and his authority over death. With concern for my parents, I felt deeply the Lazarus message I preached that morning. I rushed to catch my flight to Pittsburgh and arriving, I went to the hospital to see my father and to find out what the issues were with his health. Dad was brought in a wheelchair to a treatment area and his physician followed. 
the doctor revealed tests that identified a nasty malignant tumor that left no options for successful treatment. He said this cancer will take his life and he may have eight weeks to live. The doctor left the room. Father and I stared at each other with tears. My precious father said, Warren, can you believe it's all come to this? I knew he meant mother and his shocking news. I could not speak. A nurse came and took father for a blood test. While my mother Jean in the neighboring hospital with heart failure, not expected to live, and now news of father's lethal tumor. Feeling alone, I was shaken. I went immediately to the small chapel, which I saw when I entered the hospital, and alone I walked past empty pews, down the center aisle to a kneeling bench in front of the communion table that had an open Bible. I knelt and through tear-filled eyes I read the words of the open Bible. To my amazement it was open to John chapter 11, the very scripture I had preached on that morning, the raising of Lazarus. It was as if I was reading the story for the first time. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. When Jesus entered this scene among the Lazarus friends and family, he saw the great grief and sadness over the loss of his beloved friend Lazarus, and Jesus wept. He was deeply troubled and angry that death held his friend and all of humanity under death's hideous power. Jesus, with kingdom authority, ordered, roll the gravestone away. Jesus called, Lazarus, come out. And after four days dead in the grave, Lazarus walked out alive. Jesus has power over death. All death. My death. Your death. And the death of all that we have loved. That moment The power of Christ over death went from my head's understanding to my heart's deepest feelings. Head and heart together. I saw the pearl of great price, Jesus, as more valuable than anything I possessed or would ever possess. A joy beyond human understanding seized my mind, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus wept with me for my mother and father. Jesus says, don't worry about death because I, Jesus, have humanity's worst problems solved for those who believe. During the next six weeks, both mother 
and Father went with Jesus to inherit the victory of eternal life. As we close this worship experience together, come with me. As God's Holy Spirit guided my seeking, I was brought face to face with the kingdom of God and I was like the pearl merchant who found the pearl of great price and seeing the value was convinced to liquidate everything to possess the prize. I know that God has his hand on your shoulder guiding you. Your journey will be different than mine, but just as real. Oh, the joy when you see the kingdom of Christ in God and realize its great worth. You will be loved as God's child with a new identity in God's family. You will be forgiven and made new and complete by his grace and mercy. You will exchange your sorry stained human past, which all of us share, for a clean start, a pure white robe of righteousness, a covering that comes from Jesus. Your failures and sins, past, present, and future, will be gone, nailed to the cross of Jesus and forever obliterated in the death he died for you. And last, the kingdom of Christ and God offers you a rock-solid future. Our greatest enemy is defeated. Death has lost its power because of the risen Christ who speaks personally to each of us saying, Fear not. Because I live, you shall live also. Let us pray. O Lord, send your Holy Spirit to reveal the kingdom of God and Christ the pearl of greatest value. And may we sacrifice all to possess it. Amen.